You're listening to audio from Ascend Church. For more information about Ascend or to access more gospel-centered tools to grow as a disciple of Christ, visit ascendkc.org. Let's grab our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab the ones in front of you and turn to page 959, where you will find 1 Corinthians 12 as we continue our series. As you're turning there, I just want to say that God has been so faithful this weekend as ministry has taken place significantly in this building and in this room through the women's ministry of our church. I know those of you that were able to attend were blessed by the seeds of the gospel that were planted and watered and hopefully have even begun bearing fruit. I'm so grateful for Jenny. She was here in first service and said thank you to her personally. I know many of you were able to do that yesterday. I, I was so grateful to hear how many of our ladies led sessions, not just in teaching, but also uh, refreshment and uh, recalibration. I'm just so grateful for what God is doing in our church and just pray that you all were blessed by that, ladies. And I'm so grateful for Maggie and Gina and their team that spent so much time preparing, leading up to this, spent so much time this last week uh, decorating and getting everything set up. And uh, I just pray that they have been encouraged as well. Well, we turn our attention to our continuation of the three W's of a healthy disciple. We've learned over the last couple weeks that a healthy disciple of Jesus Christ worships him and walks with him. And this week, we, we turn our attention to the concept of working for Christ. I've played on a lot of teams through the years. Many of you know that our family uh, believed in Jesus and then sports pretty soon after that. Kind of feel like Nacho Libre's friend who only believed in science. And so we believed in Jesus first. Don't forget that. But then sports was really close after. And so I was on teams from my earliest memories and played with a lot of talented individuals. We won some significant trophies and championships. And so I could, I could draw from that experience when it comes to working for Christ and be like, hey, listen, play has got to play. Yeah, so I'm not really relevant. I tried that in first service. It fell like, like a thud. But I could draw from that and say, listen, as a team member, it's your responsibility to work. That's just what the Bible says. And, and that would, in some respects, communicate the urgency and the importance of working for Christ. But it doesn't communicate the heart that is portrayed in the New Testament. So to do that, let me share a little story of one of the teams that I played for. When I was a junior in high school, I had come to a point where the opportunities in my community to play for one of those community teams was drying up. And, and you have to understand, my community on the Missouri side was known in that day to kind of be a preppy, privileged community. And so none of those teams were an opportunity for me to play. And so my mom and I looked through the classified ads Kids, you can ask your parents what those used to be. But there was a classified ad for a, a team in Oak Grove, Missouri. Now, if you're not familiar with Oak Grove, Missouri, it is very different than the community that I grew up in. And I remember going to that first team meeting, and it was at a bingo hall. That tells you a start. I walked into that bingo hall, and I was greeted by a fog of smoke. I was greeted by people talking about activities with which I had no experience, such as mushroom hunting. 
There, there was a song blaring that, to the best of my recollection, it was singing about how this guy had lost his girlfriend and his dog, but he still had his pickup truck, so everything was all right. <laughs> That's country music, which if that offended you, I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and then the coach stood up, and he was wearing camouflage overalls. He was spitting tobacco in a cup. And you can imagine those first few weeks were rough. Now, this coach, I learned very quickly, was referred to by my teammates and their parents as Big Daddy. <laughs> now, I learned very quickly also that Big Daddy was known as Big Daddy because of his passion for us, not only as players, but as young men. That man invested his life passionately in teaching us the finer points of baseball, but also the finer points of life. And by my senior year, we had a roster of young men who were willing to do anything for Big Daddy. Big Daddy wants me to play a position I'm not used to playing. No problem. Big Daddy wants me to push a baseball with my nose while I'm on my knees. That's a true story. Which, by the way, that wouldn't go over very well today, would it? Parents would be like, that's not right. Well, it was. And it worked. Big Daddy would say, hey, Jeff, I know you're a power hitter, which I mean, you can tell, right? want to swing for the fences and he would say you're supposed to bunt and I'd be like that's fine coach now why was that the, the reason was not because I cared about my statistics the reason wasn't because I cared about me and my teammates the reason was because I valued big daddy so much Whatever he told me to do, I knew because of his love for me that it was in my best interest. It was in our team's best interest. And we, as a team, passionately wanted to bring Big Daddy his first state championship. And we did. We beat a, a, a prosperous suburb of St. Louis. Yes. <laughs> and brought the trophy home to Oak Grove, Missouri, post 379. Now, why do I tell that story? Because I think it sets up well, not just working for Christ, but also worshiping and walking with him. So we don't do these activities because we think it's going to show up on the back of our Christian baseball card. We don't do this because of the personal benefits that we will draw from this. We don't do this because the manager of the team has said, you're supposed to do this. We do this because we value above all else the coach. And beloved, that's the concept for worshiping Christ, walking with him, and working for him. Look at the big idea in your notes. That is the model, the privilege, and the end goal is to reflect Christ by the way that we work for him in the local church. And so you're going to have opportunities as you head out these doors to go to a tent and there's going to be tables set up and there's going to be cards that will give you opportunities for us to engage in serving the body of Christ. But I hope after this time that we spent together, you understand the primary objective is Christ and the privilege is ours. Let me read our passage together and then we will dive in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body... 
that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it not any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may be having the same care for one another. If one another One member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. I kind of was losing steam at the end of that. Did you notice all the repetition? Body, 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 one, 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 member, member, member. I hope it'll make more sense as we unpack this together. Number one, the first question to ask when it comes to working for Christ is, are you with Christ? Are you with Christ? And it would be easy to look at this more as a sense of duty where we, 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 we talk immediately about where we're supposed to serve. And hey, listen, you are a member of the body. Therefore, you're supposed to function as a member of the body. But the most important phrase as Paul unpacks this account of the church is the phrase at the end of verse 12, with Christ. Are you with Christ? What does it mean to be with Christ? Well, I think a lot of times we have a tendency to think of being with Christ in the sense of subscriptions, streaming subscriptions. We're all familiar with these. One of the practices that I have with my girls on Friday night is we have family movie night. It's movie night, but that's what our youngest daughter called it when she was too young to know what a movie was. And on family movie night, we're usually talking about movies that have been suggested to us by others. And so we'll ask Siri, show me such and such a movie. And then the exercise is for this. We're, we're hoping that we actually own it or that it can be shown on one of our streaming services. But inevitably, the very movie we want to watch is on a different subscription service. And so I got to admit, daddy's a hero on Friday nights. And so I usually go out to find out if Stars has a free trial. And it usually does, so I sign up for that free trial and then quickly put in my calendar when I need to cancel it so I don't have to pay. That's often how we treat with Christ. We love the benefits. Our sins are forgiven. We get to spend eternity in heaven. We get this Holy Spirit. Sure, I want one of those. But, but, but the fact is, is that 
Salvation comes with a cost. Salvation is not something we can just flip from one subscription to another. And you start to see how that applies to the local church. But to be with Christ, beloved, costs you more than just $8.99 a month. It costs you everything. It costs you acknowledging that you don't have it figured out. It costs you acknowledging that you are a sinner justly condemned to hell that can do nothing on your own to correct that. It requires and costs you to recognize that it is Jesus, not only 100% man, but 100% God who humbled himself and lived the perfect life that none of us could live and then died a death on the cross that was for our sin, for those who believe, and then rose victoriously from the grave. And that reality is enough to save you and me if we will humble ourselves and ask him to forgive our sins and surrender our lives to him, beloved. Then you are with Christ and it costs you everything. But that is the foundation to being able to work for Christ. Are you with Christ? And see, if you are, then that changes your identity. Look at verse 12. For just as there is one, the body is one and has many, many, many members, all the members of the body, though many are one body. See, if you are with Christ, then this applies to you. Then all of a sudden, what you thought was true about Christianity, what you want to be true about Christianity, now must align with what God says is Christianity. And what God says is Christianity, listen to this, is not just that you get to live this social media Christianity, I'm on an island, it means what I want it to mean. Now, if you are truly a Christian, it is intended to be lived out in the local church. That's what it means to be with Christ. And your identity is no longer your identity. Look at what it says in verse 13. For in one spirit, we are not Jews or Greeks anymore. We are not slaves or free anymore. Now, understand the point that Paul is making here. He's not saying that Jews no longer become ethnic Jews. He's not saying that slaves, as soon as you give your life to Christ, are now free. He's saying that those identities are not your ultimate identity. See, this is important for us to understand. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6. Whatever you were before you came to Christ, as long as it doesn't violate Christ's standards, remain that. Your identity remains who you were before you came to Christ, but it is now superseded with your ultimate identity, which is Christ. So when you walk into this room, just look around you right now and see the diversity. There's people from different walks of life. There's people with different skill sets. There's people with different social statuses. There's people that are different genders. But the fact is, is that all of that is superseded by our identity, which is Christ. And that puts us on the foundational mindset to approach the local church. Now, how can that happen? That can only happen by what it says in verse 13 one spirit. See, we live in an era where diversity is celebrated, don't we? You do you, I'll do me. Let's just agree to disagree. Whatever your intersectional identity is, that's what gives you weight in this culture in which we live. But the fact of the matter is, is that God says diversity remains, but it now has a different purpose. 
See, the diversity that we have in our culture is a very self-centered, prideful diversity. It is intended to be able to give me an excuse for my responses. It is intended to be able to be pain from the past that excuses me from the accountability that others have. It is a diversity that is self-centered. But the gospel says, keep your diversity, but redeem it. The diversity that is found in the body of Christ is celebrating diversity by investing in others. Would you write that down? The gospel says, celebrate your diversity by investing in others. Celebrate your diversity by advancing the gospel in other people's lives. Because at the end of the day, it all boils down to this one fact. It is all for the glory of Christ. Amen? But we can't do this on our own. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. He died so that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him. Beloved, one of the greatest applications of loving Christ is engaging in the local church. Because this is a community that most of us would not choose for ourselves. Most of us would not necessarily choose to be family members with everybody in this room. We wouldn't necessarily choose to hang out with everybody in this room. But in Christ, that changes everything. And so it doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter the experiences of our past. It doesn't matter the education. It doesn't matter the size of our bank account. What matters most is that we are in Christ. And that puts us at the right start. Now, how do we experience this? Well, we experience it through the Spirit. He gives two analogies in verse 13 through being baptized into one body and drinking of the Spirit. Now, what does this mean? A lot of controversy over these phrases. Entire denominations and movements that have held on to these phrases meaning something. But I would submit to you that you have to look at the phrases and see how Paul uses them elsewhere to be able to understand what he's saying. See, listen, beloved, we don't read God's word imposing our experiences and our understanding upon it. We receive what it actually says in context, and that shapes our definitions and our expectations. And I think when you do, and you compare how Paul uses these phrases, Paul is simply using analogy to communicate a point. He's not talking about a second baptism that happens after you get saved, that somehow like a video game gives you access to a whole new layer of tools. He's not talking about some experience of drinking one spirit. It's through prayer or it's through some charismatic gift. That's not what he's saying here. He's using these analogies to help us understand that we've got to be all in with the spirit. That when we come to Jesus Christ, just like Jesus said in John 6, you eat my flesh, you drink my blood. He wasn't talking about something literal. He's talking about being all in. And what Paul is saying here is that we must be completely washed by the Holy Spirit. We must be nourished by the Holy Spirit. And when we do, guess what? We are transformed in the very fleshly tendencies that we have to be self-focused and prideful in our diversity, take a back seat to others in the gospel. That's foundational. Are you with Christ? Number two, 
then your diversity has purpose. Then your diversity has purpose. Listen to the absurdity of these statements. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Which, by the way, every time this passage says body, you can just put out to the side local church. That's the point that Paul is making here. Is that when we come together as a local church, this is how we are supposed to think. This is how we are supposed to speak. This is how we are supposed to live. And he's drawing a physical absurdity as the reality to communicate the absurdity of a follower of Christ saying, well, I'm not going to be part of the body. I'm not going to be part of the local church. That is just absurd as a foot hopping around on its own. Your diversity, beloved, has a purpose. Paul is saying diversity, yes. Celebrate diversity. The members are allowed to celebrate diversity, but not at the expense of the group or the team in order to isolate themselves. I got to tell you, I struggle with this. I struggle with this as a Christian. I struggle with this as a pastor. See, that most contexts in life, if somebody makes you upset, you just leave or you no longer talk to them. In most clubs or organizations, if something makes you upset, you can give it some time, but then you can say, I don't want to be a part of that anymore. If all of a sudden Star sends you an email to say that Friday your $8.99 subscription starts, I can say, nope, trial, I'm done. But not the body of Christ. Not the local church. Does that mean you can never leave the local church? No, there, there's a time to leave the local church. But I think we as Christians use that card way too quickly. All of a sudden, somebody has offended us, and we take our gifts and go play somewhere else. All of a sudden, the pastor says something in the service, and all of a sudden, well, I didn't like that. I'm going to go somewhere else. Small group, eh, you know what? There's no chemistry here. I'm going to try something else. It's not the point of the New Testament church. If you follow the logic in Christ, if you are with Christ, the Spirit has transformed you. You have different eyes. You have different expectations. You have different standards. You have different tools at your disposal. So now what's hard for us and frankly impossible for us to do naturally in our flesh now can be done because our diversity has purpose. Number three, the purpose is for functioning as a body. It's for functioning as a body. Paul gives rhetorical questions here, and the rhetorical questions are not the point. He talks about if the whole body was an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the body was an ear, where would the sense of taste be? And those are absurd rhetorical questions. We all understand that. It's not how a body functions. But the very nature of being a foot is identified and illustrated by the function the foot has in conjunction with the body. A foot is of no value if it is not functioning with the body. That's the point that Paul is making here. But I want you to see something even before we unpack this more. Look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members as he chose. 
Friends, listen, that is an important lens for us to wear as, as you consider Ascend Church your home which if you've been coming for multiple weeks and there's not a biblical reason for you where we're preaching heresy or we're not giving you opportunities to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I don't think either of those two things are in place. So if you've been coming for a while, listen, connect, engage, because God has placed you here. That, that puts us in the proper mindset. This is not just you as a consumer thinking, you know what, I like the style of this church. The people seem nice. I like the coffee. I think I'll keep coming. That's a consumer mindset. That's not a Christ-centered, gospel-transformed mindset. The mindset is foundational in verse 18. God has placed you here. And his purpose is for you to function as a body. Look down at verse 20. You are members of the body. Verse 21, everyone is needed. No one is insignificant, verses 20 through 24. Now, we understand that some roles are more visible than others. <laughs> this was illustrated this last week. My uh, wife and I were invited to a, uh, an event that some of the people in our church put on, and an Evite went out, and people had questions about that Evite, and so they sent texts to my wife. We didn't send it out. We weren't the ones that planned it, but people just kind of assumed that if something's going on in the church, Sally and Jeff know about it. And that's because I am the most visible for the church up here each week. My wife is visible in her role as my wife. <laughs> She teaches in women's ministry. There are more visible roles. But listen to this and hear me well. We are all equal in value. Just because a role has more visibility does not mean that role is more valuable. Every role in this church is significant. Listen, I've been to a lot of churches, and I'm sure you have too, where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Here at Ascend, I would say about 80% of the people do the work. That is amazing. And we celebrate that. And I want to encourage you. That's awesome. That's not normal. It's prescribed, but it's not normal. But let me ask that 80%. Can you imagine if the 20% who are not actively engaged in using their skills and their gifts to build up the body of Christ were doing so? Can you imagine the relief of some of the burden that some of you have? Can you imagine the additional ministry that we could actually do? Can you imagine the, the extra gospel progress that could be made if the 20% were actually engaging along with the other 80%? That's the beauty of this thing. And so whether you're on the prayer ministry and nobody knows your name, whether you're part of the building team who comes up here and re repairs toilets that we can all see the evidence of but have no idea who actually did that, or whether you're the one leading small group or you're an elder in the church, friend, listen, God has given us a body with multiple members with no insignificance and everybody is equal in value. Let me hasten to add that I do think that this passage, along with others, reminds us that membership is biblical. You look at Acts and you see that there were lists of the names of the people who were parts of those churches. 
You look at 1 Timothy 5 and you see that there was a list of widows that the members of the church could actually go through and say, okay, this person is a member of our church. They're also a widow. Therefore, we will minister to them in special ways. You look at Hebrews 13, 17, and it sure implies that there is a formal submission of the members of the church to the leaders of the church. Beloved, I, I think that there is a biblical argument that membership is biblical, but there's also a practical argument. And that practical argument is that we as Americans do not enjoy committing. And so we can come and say that, listen, my commitment is that I'm coming every week and that I'm giving tithes and offerings. But we say, you know what, take it a step further and sign something. Go through a class that actually tells you what's expected of you and what you can expect of us. And submit yourself to the leadership of the church in this formal way. Because I think it takes the New Testament concept to a very vivid and practical application. So, beloved, listen to this. The church is never going to be perfect, and your contribution to it will continue to make it such. When the body suffers, a member suffers, all suffer. When the body is honored, all are honored. But listen, this is not how we naturally respond, is it? I'm not a hero in the kitchen. I don't claim to be. And usually that is evidenced by some misstep that I make. And one of the missteps that I often make, and I continue to make it, is when I make pizza, that's one of the only things I'm allowed to cook. I'm like this meticulous chef, and I'm making sure that it's not burnt, that the crust just needs to be a little golden. The pepperoni needs that just black ring around the edges. You know what I'm talking about. And so I'm constantly checking it. Well, I inevitably will do this every time. I open the oven and I stick my face in there before I let the steam out. And, and what happens in that moment is all of a sudden, the members of my body up in this general region, if you've ever seen Tommy Boy, not so much here, but right here, this region experiences suffering. But listen, the whole body gets involved. And my legs push me back. I, I experience drama from my mouth. My girls say, you think we're drama? You're drama, Dad. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> when one member suffers, we all suffer. But see, listen, what we often do in church context is when we as individuals suffer, we just run for the hills. We just criticize. We don't reach out to others to invite them to encourage us in our suffering. When we see somebody suffer, we often just kind of treat them like they have the plague. Oh, sorry, good luck with that. That's why we say here that the pillar of our church that we, we pray without ceasing is that when you ask us to pray, we, we actually do that. We don't just say, I'll pray for you. We do it. When one member is honored, how many times have you seen somebody get asked to be a small group leader and your response is, praise God, good for them, versus why didn't they ask me? You see where I'm going with this is that our natural tendency, apart from the Holy Spirit doing a work, apart from the humility of the gospel, is to not engage in the local church in a gospel-centered fashion. Listen to what Jonathan Lehman says in his incredible book on the church. He says, do you want to experience and exercise the glorious love of heaven as Christ asks us 
then do it in a local church. A local church where factions are pitted against each other, chapter 1, verse 12 through 13. People have big heads, chapter 4, verse 8. Members are sleeping with their father's wife, chapter 5, verse 2. Members are suing and defrauding one another, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Members are getting drunk with communion wine, chapter 11, 21 through 22. And spiritual gift one-upsmanship is going on, chapters 12 through 14. This is the Corinthian church. And Paul does not say as he's addressing that, listen, your church is messed up. Go find a second church. He says, no, you have the responsibility to engage in the body as a, as a member of the body of Christ. Point these people to Christ. Do your part to, to advance the gospel in these situations. It doesn't mean we don't address sin. It doesn't mean we don't address community. It doesn't mean that the leadership has room to grow in realigning with Scripture. But it does mean that the body is invested in Christ's glory. And so, beloved, listen, you stick around at a sin long enough. I talked to a, a, a friend this morning, a new friend, because I just met him. And he just said, you know, we've been coming for a while, and so far, so good. And I love that. But I just told him, just wait. <laughs> just wait, because pastor's going to say something in a sermon. You're going to be like, I don't know if I like that. Or pastor's going to say something in a sermon that might be different than you've been taught before. And we have an opportunity to engage in that. And I always have an opportunity to say, you know what? You're right. I didn't see that. You're going to have an opportunity, and you will. Listen, just mark this down. If this is your church home, you will be offended by somebody in your small group. We are a group of imperfect people following a perfect Christ. And it does not excuse our imperfection but it requires that we all contribute and play our part. See, are you with Christ? Then your diversity has a purpose, and your purpose is to function as a body, number four, to point everyone who sees us to Christ. Look at verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. Would you underline that? Listen, if somebody in the community wants to ask you, what is the sin church about? I hope you know our mission statement. But, but, but the, the, the most important answer is our church is about Christ. Now, hopefully they'll give you opportunity to explain what that means because just about any church would say, well, yeah, Christ is important. But the Christ of Scripture is what drives us. The Christ of not just Jesus from Matthew to Luke, but Jesus from Genesis to Revelation and everything in between. That's what drives us. That's what constrains us. That's what motivates us. And so if anybody would look at our church and say, yeah, I see, they're about Christ. Glory to God. Amen? Sally and I are an example of how this should play out because anything good in pastoral ministry is not us. I've shared with you so many times, if I was to look at all of the career opportunities when I was a little kid, pastor would have been below garbage collector. I would have had no interest in being a pastor, and yet this is what God has called me to do. And it's been a journey of 11 years, moving me from horizontal expectations of a career to a vertical understanding of a career. And guess what? I love being a pastor now. I love what God is doing in this church. I love what God is doing through this broken vessel of clay. But listen, Sally and I do not come from ministry pedigree. We don't come from a long list of generational pastors or pastor's wives. 
Most of what we do here is like, oh man, I don't know what to do. Let's pray about it. Let's seek counsel. Let's look at God's word. That, that's what we do. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And so what I want to put on display is that anything in this church is not about Jeff. It's about Christ. Our elders are amazing. We'll have an opportunity to celebrate one of them at the end of the service. But they are feet of clay. We're all trying to figure this thing out as well. I I like to call our 11-year experience here as an 11-year experiment. Okay, what does God's word say? What do other godly churches do? Well, let's try that. And so that does not excuse our imperfection. That does not excuse if there's sin in our lives. But it does remind us that this church, this ascend church, is about Christ. And so please contribute to that with us. But then it also involves our individual responsibility. Look at verse 27. Yes, you are the body of Christ, but you are also individually members of it. You have a responsibility. You have a role to play. And he unpacks his own context for the Corinthians. Verse 28, God is appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, which, by the way, I don't have time to get into this. But I've shared with this many times that I think we have to see the entire New Testament when we see offices like this. And as I said, this is controversial. And there are denominations that are built on leaders who are called apostles and people who are called prophets. But I I think if you look at the New Testament and you see the role that those offices played, you would see that they're not needed today. Write down Ephesians 2.20. You can look at it later. Christ's church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And listen, as we look at the completion of Scripture, as we look at the the apostles, the 12 apostles who died, that was the foundation. Their foundation is the word. Their foundation is their teaching. And, And we can build on that foundation now. We don't need more foundation. He goes on to say that there are also miracles and gifts of healing, and these are those sign gifts that were responsible and needed in the transition of Acts. Tongues at the end of this list is, a, is another example of this. And again, if you're only looking at this, then you would say, well, look, pastor, it's supposed to be for us today, but look at the entire New Testament. Look at the purpose that those gifts played, and those purposes are no longer needed today. We don't need our message authenticated by signs and wonders. Our method, our message is authenticated by the Word of God. We don't need the Holy Spirit speaking to us audibly with something new anymore. Why? Because that message is authenticated by God and His Word. And so we have to understand the original context. But when we do, we see that these foundational and transitional offices and gifts played their role. They're no longer in play. But as we look at the rest of the New Testament, these gifts are helping, administrating. Verses 1 through 11 give us more gifts. Romans chapter 13 gives us more gifts. Or I think it's chapter 12. There are gifts that continue on today that are given to each one of us. Each one of you, if you are a follower of Christ, Ephesians 4 says, were given a specific measurement of gifts by Christ himself for the purpose of building up the local church. That's where that giftedness is intended to play out. Not in the community, not in your neighborhoods. That's where evangelism takes place. Your giftedness is intended to play out in the local church. What is the purpose? 
Well, it's actually implied in verse 30, 29 and 30. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the implied expected answer is no, 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 no. There's a variety of gifts. Each one is uniquely gifted by the Christ of the universe and placed in this church for this time to build up his church so that this church more brilliantly reflects Christ than if you were not here and not engaging your gifts. What a privilege that is. But then I love verse 31 because I think it comes all together with this. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. It's a little complicated. What is Paul saying? Is Paul saying that, listen, y'all are in the minors who are doing, you know, these behind-the-scenes gifts. Earnestly desire to get called up to the majors. Get called up to teaching. Get called up to eldership. Get called up to those visible roles and gifted areas of the church. And, and what Paul's saying here is he's saying, no, don't desire these gifts for yourself. Desire that they function in a way that brings glory to Christ. And that's important because Paul understood the dark side of diversity, just like Solomon did in Ecclesiastes 5. Solomon understood the dark side of worship, the dark side of a people that follow after God. What is that dark side? Well, how many times have you seen people who are teachers fall into pride? How many times have you seen people with the gift of exhortation or discernment fall into the temptation of impatience? I see this on social media a lot. I don't hardly ever engage with social media, mostly because I don't think I'm gifted in what I'm about to tell you. But the one that I'd like to highlight is a man named Owen Strand. If you've never heard of him, his last name is spelled like Strachan, but somehow I think his family decided it's Strand. (laughs) Owen Strand has written a book called Christianity and Wokeness. I highly, 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 you get it? Recommend. He is an amazing theologian who can process the social and hot topic buttons that are going on in our society and run them through the grid of scripture and theology. And that man is incredibly gracious. You know, one time that you decide to build up the courage and you post something that's biblical on social media, just wait for the comments. And boom, do they happen. And they are vicious. And you know what Owen does? He does an amazing job responding with truth. Oh, man, does he bring the truth. But with grace, with patience. Not everybody who has the gift of exhortation and the gift of discernment resists the temptation for impatience. How about hospitality and mercy? Often the people who are most hospitable and so merciful struggle with saying the hard things, don't they? Man, they are great with putting out the food spread, but man, if they see something that, oh, that's not right, well, here, have some chicken. (laughs) The point that I'm trying to make is that we are diverse. This group is diverse. We're intended to be that way. We have a variety of experiences, skills, and gifts. 
Paul is saying here is don't forget, despite all of our diversity, despite all of our variety, despite the different visibility of roles and gifts, desire that Christ is glorified. Desire that those who have those gifts and are visible not only are able to use them, but do so in a humble, Christ-honoring fashion and do everything that you can to contribute to that. Friends, this is what it means to work for Christ. Are you with Christ? Then your diversity has purpose. And that purpose is to function as a body so that everyone who sees us sees Christ. I want to close by bringing the series together, and that is worshiping Christ, walking with him, working for him, really is a contrast between being a moviegoer and a churchgoer. Let me explain this. We went to a movie this last week that my girls had seen, and we loved it so much that we told our, our, their mom, my wife, you need to see it too. And so we got excited, and we went on, on Friday night, and we, we were watching it, but I kept watching my wife, and my wife was dancing with the music. It was awesome music. It's from the 80s and 90s. She was crying. She laughed. And she even started clapping before the movie was done, which is embarrassing. But she was moved with those emotions because of a movie. And we talked about it in the car. But guess what? It's gone. It's behind us. That experience was a two-hour experience that impacted us. It lasted, but it didn't have ongoing reality. Friends, that's what a consumer mindset looks like with the church. You come together for an hour and a half experience and you talk about it a little bit. And maybe it was good, maybe it was bad, maybe we'll come back. That's not the church. The church is if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're growing in the value that you place on him. That's what we do here. We put Christ's character on display through the preaching, through the music, through our ministries, in kids' ministry, through the love that we express through one another. And as you grow in your understanding of God's character, you grow in the value that you place on him, and that's worshiping Christ. And then you realize that, hey, I'm supposed to live this out in in all areas of my life, and I'm supposed to live it out in the spiritual disciplines. I'm supposed to let the world that, that watches me know that I'm a Christ follower, and I value him so much that I'm reminded that I'm resourced through the walk of Jesus Christ through the local church. And I engage with that. And then what a privilege it is to take our diversity and our varied skills and gifts and experiences and put ourselves on the back burner and put Christ and others on the front. Beloved, you'll have an opportunity as you walk out to just consider some opportunities under the tent to engage with Service ministries that we put the ball on the tee for you, but the goal is put Christ on display, put others first, and contribute your skills and your gifts to the body of Christ.